Welcome to StoryCorps, Share Your Science. I'm Sandy Duick, a science communicator for the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute at NASA's Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, California. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Jared Broderick, who's also at Ames. Welcome, Jared. Thank you, Sandy. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. So I've done some research on you. Oh, no. I see. Yeah. So I see that you, or I read that you are a research scientist, a systems biologist in the field of space biology. You're an expeditioner who has just returned from a 45-day mission, and you're an officer in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. Who are you? I want to know more. Um, Let's start with the space biology and the expeditions. In late January, you were voluntarily locked up inside a 600-square-foot habitat called HERA, the Human Exploration research analog. You were joined by three others, and for 45 days, the four of you were human experiments. What made you sign up for this locked-in-a-box experience? Well, the analogs in general are such a phenomenal way for us to learn in a controlled environment the important factors that are uh, that we need to address overcome and mitigate uh, when we want to do uh, space exploration and so when you kind of went through my, my background i think you could basically what it comes down to is i'm, I'm still um, trying to figure out what i want to be when i grow up but um, essentially i want it to be as close to the, the the exploration of our solar system and um, as possible and so that takes on a lot of different forms one of which is super exciting with the, the artemis program and the the hope that we one day we'll be able to send manned mission to mars is human space exploration it's just really taken off in the last decade or so and nasa kind of hourly looking into um, how to get away from the relative safety of low earth orbit it just was such a cool opportunity to actually be a participant in that. Um, and so when I saw the the Hera, I saw the Hera webpage and kind of signed up thinking, you know, this might be something that I could do one day. And when I started going through the screening process and you get to go to Johnson Space Center and go through the same uh, medical and psycho- some of the same medical and psychological evaluations they do for the astronaut candidates. I mean, it's just, it was such a cool experience that I just, every, every step of it just made me more excited about participating in it. But 45 days? Did you go crazy? You know, not so much. And so, first of all, I mean, I've had, um, and in the Air Force, I've had several deployments. And so I've been away from family and friends. I've been in unfamiliar environments. A unique factor of of this um, analog was, and and of spaceflight in general, is the fact that you're in a built environment. You're basically, the entire thing is is, is structured and and man-made. Um, which has its own unique characteristics. In the military, I have spent significant amount of times in secure facilities that have no windows, and um, <laughs> you don't hear outside. And, and you know, when you have some long hours, it it felt very similar to that. Essentially, okay. really, what it comes down to is if you're busy enough, uh, you don't notice it. And they really kept us busy. They tried to recreate the daily schedule of, of an astronaut. And so pretty much every six days a week, we did have a little bit of a down day um, on Sundays. But basically six days a week, you're you're jumping through your day um, trying to stay ahead of the curve. And so I think when you're that busy, uh, the time goes by quick and you don't really notice all of the different uh, factors. I did notice once we did get some uh, voice recordings from our families. Um, one another caveat was part of the 
part of the research was looking at the the time delay or the calm delay as you get further and further from Earth. And so they actually baked that into our family um, contacts. And so at a certain point, it got so long that it just didn't make sense to do phone calls anymore, because essentially by the time each party said hi, your allocated time would be over. <laughs> and so I, I received a you know voice recording from my family and I realized that the first listen through, I had no idea what they said because I was so transfixed on the sound of birds chirping in the background. And I hadn't heard any nature sounds at that point in probably four weeks. And so I was completely enamored with the sound of the birds chirping in the background. Did you did you have um, like regular life things to do? Did you all sit down and have meals together? Did you work out? Yes, both to both. All of our meals were uh, structured and simultaneous. And so we would typically work together to, to put together our, um, our rehydrated meals and um, get as creative as we could to add some diversity to it. But I'm, honestly, the food was not that bad at all. Workout was structured. It was part, actually part of the, part of one of the experiments that was going on was a, was a workout experiment. And so we were running the exercise bike three days a week, and then we had resistance training three days a week. Yeah, I was working out six days a week. I, I I joke to people that uh, we were almost mandated to have eight hours of sleep a night. We were working out six days a week. Uh, you know, I was eating pretty healthy. It was almost a, it was almost a health retreat <laughs> for 45 days as opposed to anything else. We were going to we were taking 45 days out of our life. More than that, if you consider the pre-mission uh, training and data collect and the post-mission data collect, um, it turned out to be over two months um, away from our families, away from our, our jobs, away from our lives. And we all decided up front before we even went in that getting good data for the researchers was priority number one. We really wanted to make sure that that, that sacrifice that we were making, our families were making, um, was in service of, of the agency and its goals. And so I, I was really um, happy that our team was, was so focused in that regard because I, I think we accomplished that. We obviously don't know the quality of the data, but all of the feedback we got, at least on the quality of the data collection, was, you know... <laughs> So you were human experiments. That is correct. And so mostly behavioral, med uh, you know, with behavioral science, looking at correlations between stress and operational performance. They're also piloting some new technologies, some virtual reality and um, augmented reality, virtual assistants, trying to, a lot of it focused on increasing the autonomy of crews at Mars distances. And it's a 20 minute you know, each way to get a conversation to mission control. And there's a lot of problems in space that you need to solve faster than 40 minutes round trip. And so um, they're kind of looking at some technologies that might facilitate that. And so we were, you know, we'd pilot those for them. And it was interesting. It was fun to play with things like um, augmented reality and, and, um, and virtual assistants. Sounds pretty cool. Would you do it again? I would do it again if I knew that the routine was different. <laughs> so yeah. one of the, the challenges we ran into was in order to maintain and not to, to change any of the variables of the of the experiment, our routine had to be fairly static every week. So every week we kind of did the same thing. So by about week four or five, you're like, you know, this has been fun. However, you know, some, some variety would be nice. You're here in Silicon Valley, California now. In what town did your life journey begin? Um, so I'm actually a California native. I was born and raised in the Central Valley, born in Sacramento, but my dad worked for the state. And so we moved around a bit every time he kind of had a new position. And so moved up and down the the I-5, I-99, or I-5 Highway 99 corridor quite a bit. Um, spent a little time in East Bay when I was um, in elementary school. 
and then went to high school in Sacramento. And so I'm, this is kind of all, all coming home. Were you interested in science as a kid? Yes, I was very, I mean, now that I think back on it, I think honestly, I was probably a little bit more of an engineer. Um, I like to take things apart. Mm-hmm. Not so great about putting them back together, but I was really excited about taking things apart. I remember distinctly as a, um, I think I was, gosh, I must have been in first or second grade. My uncle had gifted me our first three and a half inch, you know, hard drive or, um, you know, drive instead of the five and a quarter inch floppy drive. And I really wanted to install it. And my parents were just humming and hawing about how they were going to get it done. And so one day when nobody's home, I just did it myself <laughs> and it worked. And so I was happy. But yeah, that was, I think from the science side, it really didn't, that didn't really hit me until college is when I think I really became a scientist. So Ames was sort of always in your backyard as you were uh, moving up and down uh, Central California. Did you know about NASA? Did you want to work at NASA Ames? Or was that something that you learned about later? So Ames was actually, I did not know about it. And so I, of course, NASA was, was in my, um, in my sights the whole time I went, uh, went to the Air Force Academy because I wanted to be an astronaut, you know, so NASA was always very, very forefront in my imagination plans and dreams. So what, what's a typical day like for you? Uh, They don't exist. Okay, I want to hear more. (laughs) As a, you know, I'm a research scientist, but I'm also a civil servant. And so a lot of my, my time is split kind of between that service role. And then of course, my own um, interests in, in research when it comes to solving problems for the agency. And I think it's actually really important is, is having that, um, that concept that a lot of what I should be doing is actually ensuring that the the resources that have been gifted to the agency and that we then redistribute to different people um, throughout the country to do to do work is is um, faithfully executed and is helping us achieve our objectives as, as an agency. And so a lot of it is as programmatic support, providing subject matter expertise where where relevant to make sure that we're we're um, putting all those resources that were so generously given to us by the American people towards um, actually returning making making the the stated you know accomplishing the stated objectives of the agency um, and then there's part of it is is my own research which is split kind of evenly between space biology and astrobiology and um, that's kind of where I get to flex my systems biology muscles a little bit and those are the, the types of science that I, I, um, I typically try to accomplish. Is there a particular research project that you're working on right now? So I've, I've kind of split my, um, <clears throat> like I said, I split my time between space biology and astrobiology. On the astrobiology side, what I, uh, so the, the type of systems biology is a, a, um, a combination of it, it includes a lot of data science and computational biology. So there's a little bit of, of, it's trying to create mathematical representations of biological systems and then using that to see if you can kind of understand some fundamental factors or um, important components. What are the variables that are the most determinate for that system? And and so one thing that I've been working at is, is looking at life in extreme environments mm-hmm. and the reason for that is it's not really the, the belief on astrobiology is that you can transplant life from an extreme environment on Earth to some extreme environment um, outside of Earth, like Mars or Enceladus or Europa. But what it does is a lot of ecosystems on life, the dominant constraint is actually other life. You know, it's a competition for resources. And, and so that's those those ecosystems are very complicated. They're very diverse. Um, there's a lot of interactions. But when you look at life in extreme environments, a lot of time the dominant constraint is actually 
the environment itself. It's somewhat we call abiotic stress that kind of puts that limit. And when the when that limit is so definitive, it actually provides some pretty interesting opportunities for providing direct understanding of the mechanism by which life bypasses that constraint. So, you know, when temperatures are really high, and that's the dominant factor in the system to, that dictates survival or dictates fitness, mm -hmm. then it's a really great place to understand, like, how what is what are the fundamental temperature dependencies of life? And are there upper and lower hard bounds based not just on biology, but on chemistry and physics that really mm -hmm. make that a reality? Because what's nice about if, if you can get at the interface between biology and, and physics, you can transplant that to places other than Earth. Those, those hold true, independent of which planetary body which you're looking at it. And so that's really what we're trying to get at. So you're, you're trying to find that uh, sweet spot, that Goldilocks zone where everything comes together and life becomes a possibility. Yeah, uh, that's not definitely men life, but plant life, cell life. We're really trying to understand it or frame it in that most fundamental level, because that's really, you know, the the truth of the matter is we, we live on a planet that is absolutely blanketed by excess energy. The fact that we have photosynthesis means we can pull energy from outside the earth and use that to do things on earth. And that's what where plants are so powerful is that you know, they're basically using that energy to, you know, it's think of a, you could think of a system that can be closed or it can be open. An open system, you can add and subtract things from it. And uh, most planetary bodies without photosynthesis are fairly closed. You know, there's no way to really add or remove energy from those systems. And so we we have to then go on Earth to places that are fairly that are fairly closed, that are fairly you know, at those at those limits, because that's most representative of probably the potential of life on on other planetary bodies in the solar system. Do you believe that we're alone in the universe? No, I think there's just I mean just too many, uh, too many stars, too many galaxies to, to really be, um, to think that this couldn't ha could only happen once. Um, but I am a bit, I always get this right, I'm a little bit bearish on overcoming the distances that tend to be between stars. And so whether or not we will ever know if we're alone definitively may be very difficult. Mm -hmm. I imagine that you have many opportunities to uh, work with high school students, undergrads, postdocs, and young researchers. What do you tell them about pursuing careers in science and engineering and working at NASA? I do. I do have an opportunity. That's a space biology program is actually wonderful in that regard. They've done. They have a lot of great outreach programs. Um, I got. I had a wonderful opportunity to work with an undergraduate student um, over last summer, and she just did phenomenally, and, and ended up, you know, winning some awards and some scholarships. And so she's going to go to graduate school. So it's all great stuff. It's wonderful just to um, observe that and, and see these and see these young folks grow, and the the caliber of folks that we bring into the program are just second to none. I try to be very honest about, you know, what did it, what what does the agency what is the agency's goals, and do your scientific interests intersect with those goals? It's very important to be honest with yourself and, and, and honest with the types of science that you want to do, the the constraints and, and, and limited resources that are available to do, you know, what are the, the resources that are available to, to do that type of science. And NASA has a very, you know, fairly, we do a lot of different types of science. The type of science you do is going to be scoped by the by the the objectives of the agency, and you just have to make sure that you're you're constantly will you know that your interests are aligned with the objectives of the agency, and that 
if the agency's objectives changes, that you're okay to adjust your prioritization as well in order to uh, adapt to it. And if for folks who for whom they have a much stronger opinion of the types of science they do, then the, then I would recommend you know maybe exploring a more general academic career track, and but then still applying to to do NASA work through the nat- the natural grant solicitation processes, and so that once those when you find opportunities for that intersection, then absolutely you can dabble into it, and the agency will will reap the benefits of all the work you've done in other you know in adjacent fields of science and all the advances made there. Um, but then when your interests and the the objectives of the agency are no longer congruent, then you can step away and, and focus on on what really motivates you, and then come back to it as necessary. And I've I've certainly had some maturation in in my understanding of of what the agency wants and and um, the types of science that are are uh, feasible. And I've you know I, I I'm a space biologist right now, but I've been a space biologist literally since I became a civil servant, which is about two years ago. But you know the the core underlying type of work I do is consistent. There's a foundation there, and then I personally enjoy the pivot between you know trying to project problems or challenges relevant to the agency through the lens of that foundation. That's enjoyable to me. There's lots of different things to do within the agency, a lot of different places, and it's certainly an area where I think we're continuing to expand our focus and and headquarters is definitely applying the appropriate resources to help bring young people through it's a good place to, to come and try it out. Like, you know, there's opportunities to try a lot of different types of things. And we would certainly encourage anybody to go ahead and take advantage of those opportunities. I mean, that sounds very exciting and enticing. And I could see how that message could really get through to, to students. But I think at first it would be hard to think about what NASA's goal is and just sort of say, oh, I, you know, I just want to work at NASA. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a rover driver, sort of forgetting about all the fundamentals that it takes to hold this foundation of NASA up and all the different opportunities that there are within NASA. Yeah, and it's, um, and honestly, it's kind of opaque from the outside, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get a good appreciation for all those different layers um, until I started to, w- to work here. I started as a, a postdoctoral fellow in the astrobiology program. And it was really only once I got into that role and started to have a better appreciation for, for all those factors you just mentioned and that navigating that is, is not completely obvious. And that's why that's why I do encourage anybody who's interested just get into the systems, you know, wherever you can find whatever's closest to you, whatever you're interested in. Got to find that good fit. Yes. And it's a reciprocal good fit. You know, it's got to yeah. be something you want and something that, that also works with what the agency needs. And that's that's I think where a lot of commercial opportunities have sprung up, where people have, um, you know, they believe that they're right and the agency disagrees. And so they go out and prove them wrong. And so they go out there and you know, start a company and like sell it back to NASA. And next thing you know, you have SpaceX. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. How did the uh, pandemic affect your work, especially since we're just now coming back to NASA after being gone for two and a half years? Oh, my goodness. Um, so I actually got hired as a, I transitioned off my postdoctoral fellow into my civil servant role in June of 2020. So it was post pandemic. So I actually went months, if not there's there are still coworkers I have that I've never met in person. That's been it's been interesting as far as impacting my work. You know, I'm fortunate that I still have a lot of data from the um, the astrobiology side to kind of work through. And one of the nice things about doing 
research on life in extreme environments is that you you do one field campaign and you basically have like three years of data. It's incredible how much data you can collect in a short amount of time. Um, and so, but at the same time, it was a challenge in that, you know, I was no longer an astrobiologist. I was, you know, my, I was supposed to be a space biologist. And so trying to establish myself in that field was mm -hmm. without having a network, without having coworkers to bounce ideas off of, at least not in the more traditional way, um, was a bit uh, of a challenge. But most importantly, I just, I, I really gain a lot of satisfaction from from what I do by just having those conversations with people. Having sitting outside um, at, at Ames in the the courtyard with their outside the, the cafeteria and just talking about science and, and bouncing ideas and meeting new people. It's an important part. It's a really important part of of the entire enterprise. And so having that um, come back is going to is going to be really nice. Absolutely. In your career so far. What job has inspired you the most, um, made you think differently about your life or the world around you? So I definitely think that the the work in the astrobiology world has, has really fundamentally changed how I see life. Um, and it's a, it's a hypothesis. It's not, um, a, it's not a proven reality, but it is a it's it's consistent with it's a it's a, a, a model that's relatively consistent and and generally applicable to any planetary body and i'm really hoping i get the opportunity to explore it rigorously because um it's it's fairly unified in, in how it, it looks at the 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 evolution of, of life between just abiotic chemistry in in rocks and and, and people it, you know my grandfather he he asked me once you know after I, after i described it to him He's like, does it do, you feel like that takes away anything about the human experience? You know, if you, if you reduce, um, if, if all life is reduced to this single function, do you feel like that, you know, detracts from, from um, your joy of life or, or the, you know, and it, it, absolutely not. I think it, it um, one, it's given me a, an appreciation of the, it's something that's complete, that unifies every all life on on earth you know humans plants microbes it's all just it's it's consistent you know some peace in that connectedness for sure but also it's i can also appreciate that you know especially as a parent that there's certain things that are that are hard hard wired into us as humans that exist above and beyond what may be just that that basal you know function that's consistent between all life there are unique aspects of, of being human and one of those, and that's one of the things that have kind of motivated me with NASA, is that one of them is exploration. I and mean, it's something that's just ingrained in us as, as people. And so it, it helps uh, helps certainly motivate me to, to get excited about the agency's mission, because um, I think it is a fundamentally human endeavor. It's obvious that you are very passionate about your work. When you're away from work, what are you passionate about? You know, I I uh, I do I my, I feel bad for my family. I am very busy. Um, you know, between the military job and, and science, it's it's a it's pretty it's pretty. Uh, I just spent last weekend um, at Vandenberg Space Force Base doing my my monthly drill. But I um I really enjoy our family or as a very outdoor family. Uh, we enjoy hikes together. We uh, we go surfing and and spend time outdoors and. So I really enjoy that. I really enjoy going scuba diving in Monterey Bay here. It's been, uh -huh. and I've really been doing that a lot. And I figured what was the, the safest out, what was the safest thing you can do and, and during COVID is, is breathe off your own air supply, right? And so <laughs> I figured that I got back into it during uh, the pandemic. And 
it's really it's just another again exploration right it's a completely different ecosystem out there and we're we are visitors we are certainly it's not a realm which we um we, which we dominate so it's that's that's fun for sure but yeah that's you know basically making sure I, I give time to my family and and also get outside and see the world it's kind of my spend my time when i'm not sciencing if you weren't a scientist what else might you be doing now, is this a what would I like to do or for most practical answer? Those practical answers, I probably would still be in the military. Um, if I didn't, you know, the science bug didn't bite me again when I was um, when I was in my early mid 20s, got out of active duty and, and became a scientist again. But I definitely could have seen myself continuing in that realm. And I was I'm not a scientist in the military. I, I have a okay. different responsibility. But if like, you know, what would I be if I could be, you know, if it was just and like, uh, yeah. I really, uh, I don't get to do it much here, but when I was um, down in San Diego, I was a, um, you know, a hobby blacksmith and I really, really enjoy that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think if, if I kind of just, if I had my druthers, I think it would be um, some sort of uh, metal worker, woodwork kind of, uh, kind of endeavor, like that's what I would do. That's very creative. Uh, very different from your job at NASA and being in the military where things are very structured. Yeah, that's maybe that's why I enjoy it. It's kind of flexes different muscles and, and uses different right. parts of the brain. The the metallurgy and the the science that goes into heat treating metals and and uh, that's all very that's all you know very nerdy as well. So you know maybe there are some synergies between that and, and science. So because this is a podcast and there aren't any visuals that we can share with the audience, I'm going to make some assumptions about you and I want you to agree or disagree. Okay. Uh, you, with you with sit, explanation or just yes nos? Oh no, with explanation. Oh, okay. Um, I sit behind a computer all day. Mostly yes. Um, Only well, during the pandemic though. Oh okay. Well, so when you're at Ames, what are you doing? So when I do go to Ames, it's um, I, I try to my type of work typically is um, a, a small you know a short burst of experimentation, a lot of data collect back okay. to the computer to then turn it into knowledge, and so. When I am at Ames, I will I go in the laboratory and I'm not behind a computer. I'm behind some safety classes. In my family, I'm best known for my patience. Oh, that's a great gift to have. In my work, I'm best known for. This is an interesting question. I, you know, I'm. It goes back to the pandemic question. I actually don't have a good read on how I'm perceived by my. NASA colleagues, because we haven't had those opportunities really to to talk in that way. Now, on the military side, I guess I could say I, I was very humbled to, um, I, I just recently changed roles within my organization. And so we were at, last weekend, we were at, um, we were doing our participation and, and there were some very kind things that were that my previous group said about me and mm-hmm. in particular saying that I was a, an empathic leader, which I thought was a very, very kind thing um, to be described mm-hmm. as and I feel a little bit I'm going to say it I'm even a little bit proud that that's how they saw me so I'm going to say it (laughs) it it, that is important I mean that's I believe how you get people to follow I think so too thank you Jared very very much this was really interesting uh it's such a interesting combination of work that you have and I will look forward to checking out uh other locked in a box uh, situations (laughs) indeed
We'll look forward to perhaps seeing your name on an astronaut list someday in the near future. Yeah, well, if you have anything to say about that, I would appreciate it. You have my vote. <laughs> oh, there we go. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Sandy. And also just in general, the, the, the whole StoryCorps effort is, is wonderful. I've, over the years, I've heard um, examples of it on, on public radio and, and whatnot. So um, I'm very happy to support the, the effort. Thank you so much.